Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen and amen. You know, the words of that song say, I know it's not much, but I've got nothing else fit for a king. How many of you say that tonight your heart is full of gratitude? Thankful for who he is and for what he's done. And part of that is I was thinking about the gratefulness of God and and gratefulness that we have toward him and all the good gifts he's given us. Uh, I want to just take a moment and share with him one of the great blessings in my life and the life of Hickory Ridge that we're grateful for, and that is Gerald Young. And as I say that, hang on, hang on, hang on, save that. We're going to get to that in a minute. Yesterday uh, marked eight years that God has blessed us with him and his gifts and his family. And so, Gerald, come on up here. I got a little something I want to give you. I get to return the favor, right? (laughs) So, normally he gets me in front of everybody and does this, so this time I get to return the favor. Man, we love you, brother, and we thank God for you, bud. (laughs) Amen, dude. Love you. That's going to bless you. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You know, God's uh, used Gerald in a lot of magnificent ways, and I'm thankful for him. I know that I wouldn't be able to get to do the things that I get to do if God hadn't gifted us with him and his family. And I thank God for him and all of the many wonderful people that God has blessed us with. But, you know, when you consider the average stay of a pastor at a church is about two years in our current, in the, in the world today, uh, seeing a man stay in a place eight years is a magnificent thing that God has done. So we thank God for that. Amen. Yes, we do. So if you have your Bible now, uh, let's dive into the Word. That be all right with you all? Yeah. Acts chapter number 20. If you make your way there, Acts chapter number 20. And uh, I want you to find verse number 25, if you will. We're going to pick up right where we left off this morning, right? Right where we left off this morning. So we're going to pick right up there. Now, some of you are looking like, wait a minute, we were here this morning. It's all right. Uh, this message will stand all on its own. Um, but I will give you a little backdrop, uh, forgive you from what he talked about this morning, what Paul talked about this morning, and what he's going to ask now, these elders, the word elder is the same word as presbyterian, it's the same word as bishop, it's the same word as pastor. So uh, you're going to see that tonight and what he encourages them to do, what he's going to ask them to to do, what he's going to challenge them to do. But before he did that, okay, he took some time and, and described the, the gospel in his life and how his life was a testimony to the gospel of grace. Do you all remember this morning's message? Anybody in the house that can still remember? You go back that far and remember. And if you didn't sleep too long today, uh, you may can recall the main idea of the message was this, uh, a life fully surrendered testifies of the gospel of grace, right? To the gospel of grace. And I pray that you and I, our lives would be a testimony to the gospel of grace that God has given us in the death and resurrection of his son Jesus that makes possible any person who would fall on him and call on him and surrender to him to be saved and forgiven. What a magnificent story. What a good news that your ears have never heard, the likes of which. So tonight, we're gonna pick up. After he said about all the evidence of the gospel in his own life, He's now leading them to what he's going to ask them to do. Now, if you can imagine, if you've got a group of people together and you're going to ask them to do something, if you're going to challenge them to do something, uh, you want to first 
know who it is that's challenging you to do it, right? Uh, probably you don't receive a challenge as well from a stranger. Would you agree with that? Uh, most of the time we receive challenges uh, or, or, or call up or instruction. We receive it better from those people who we do life with and that we know. Would you agree with that statement? Say amen. And so now we have, that's what he did this morning. What we looked at this morning, he reminded them that they know him. Remember what he said? He said, you know how I always lived from the moment I got to Asia, uh, all, how I always lived among you. And so we talked about the fact that he didn't put a mask on the first day he met him, but the fact that Jesus Christ was authentically, listen, Jesus was authentically Lord in his life. And because of that, he didn't have to play games. He didn't have to put on a mask. He was who he was. By, and by the way, he said this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So as he's walking this journey, he says, now, I'm about to give you some challenge, but before I give you some challenge, let me remind you that we know each other and that you know me and that I'm not in here just trying to hoodwink you or trick you, but I'm here to challenge you and you know who's challenging you. Um, you see the evidence of the gospel of grace in my life, okay? So now we got the backdrop set. Remember the author is, the human author is a man by the name of Luke. The audience is a man by the name of Theophilus. It's always good to be reminded of what the context of the passage is. He's recorded these events uh, to, for Theophilus to know that the gospel, this is what the life teachings times of Jesus uh, produces, the acts that that produced, that Jesus produces in life when people surrender to him. And so now he's talking about this one named Paul. And wouldn't you agree with me that the gospel of grace had gripped Paul's heart? Amen. Wouldn't you agree with that? If you look at his life a little bit, you know the man, he, 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 as he, the, the, the more he got to know Jesus, the, the more he realized how much of a sinner. You know, he went from I'm a sinner to a great sinner, and the, and the last letter wrote, he said, I'm chief of sinners. And so the closer he got to Jesus, the more he saw who he was apart from Christ. But I believe this also. I believe he also got to know better who he was in Christ along the journey. And so tonight, if you would, stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word. And we're going to read beginning in verse number 25, okay? 25, all the way down to verse number 38, all right? Verse 38. Can we smile together one time? Amen. It's been a good day. Verse number 25. Everybody there? And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So remember, he's in Miletus, but he called to Ephesus and called the elders, the preachers, the pastors, the leaders, spiritual leaders, so that she brought them together, okay? And he's reminded them who he is and the evidence that they had seen in his life, that he was real. He really was a follower of Jesus and that he was in it for the glory of his name. And now he's telling them, boy, it's sad, isn't it? To say, now, here's the thing. Um, now remember, Paul's not writing this letter. Luke's recording what happened. So he's looking at him. He's saying, I'm, I'm, you guys man, we've had such a great time together and ministry here has been so good and we've developed relationship, but, but you're not going to ever see me again until we get to heaven. This is the last time we'll see each other. All right, so read, read along a little further with me. He says, I have, uh, you, you'll see my face no more, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you, somebody help me, the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased. Somebody help me. How did he buy the church? With his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, what are they supposed to do about that? Watch 
And remember that for three years, Paul said, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. Oh, we're getting some clues about the tears he mentioned this morning with tears. So he's three years warning, 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 warning about false doctrine. He's warning about not everybody who says they're a believer is a believer. He's warning about not every bit of advice you get is good advice, biblical advice. He's warning them, okay? Verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that, said, that, that he said, and this is what Jesus said. You ready? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that interesting that we've come across this passage in this season of giving? And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. You see the whole group? He's told them they'll never see him again. So let's pray. And they start praying together. He kneels down, and they begin to pray, all of them. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him all the way to the ship. All right, let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Now, Heavenly Father, we, we ask you tonight to teach us, instruct us from your word. And Father, I pray that no preconceived motion would stand as an obstacle to our understanding. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help me to preach this word because I'm terribly inadequate unless you do it. So please use me now simply as a vessel. Uh, Lord, that you would preach through me, but also at the same time preach to me. And Father, as you preach to me, help us all to see today that there's contest, something for all of us to get out of what you want to say to us tonight. And Father, I pray then that you would tune our ears in to hear your voice. Lord, avoid, help us to avoid distraction, and may we now pull up a seat at the table and ask you to feed our hungry souls, and we ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus and the people of God said together, Amen. Thank you so much. And you may be seated. Thank you all for standing in honor of reading God's Word tonight. The title of the message is, The Challenge to Shepherd God's Flock. Now, I'm looking around, and I don't see a whole lot of preachers out there. And so you may be thinking to yourself, man, I picked the wrong Sunday night to come. I could have stayed home and got the house ready for company. I could have got ahead and cooked a few of the casseroles and had them ready, right, to go. Um, but I believe this with all my... And y'all can smile. It's all right. It's okay that we have those thoughts sometimes. Um, but I want to say, first of all, thank you that you came. And I'll say this to you. I believe you came on the exactly right night. And I believe there's instruction for me. And there's instruction for you. And the same thing that you and I would take that God would challenge the pastor, the shepherd, the under shepherd to, to follow. Also, it applies to every one of us. Y'all with me? All right, here we go. Let's go back to verse number 25, okay? Here's the main idea of the passage. Maybe you'd write it down somewhere in your notes. Here it is. God gives shepherds to guard and guide his flock. Would you write that down for just a moment? Uh, God gives shepherds to guard and guide his flock. Where did this idea of pastors come from? Where did this idea of spiritual leadership come from? Why would someone call the church the flock and the pastor the shepherd, right? So let's just kind of look at that tonight and begin to unpackage it. And for our understanding and for our learning, we're we going to look tonight at God gives shepherds to guard and to guide, y'all help me, his flock, okay? His flock. Now, we're going to unpackage that, and we're going to look at it about, I don't know, about seven different things I want to say tonight uh, that point back to that, okay? So, the first one is found in verse 25 to 27, and I want you to write this in your notes, and let's discuss it together. Here it is. We need shepherds who preach and teach all of God's Word. 
All right, would you write that somewhere? We need, we need pastors, we need shepherds, we need those who will preach and teach, y'all, y'all tracking with me? All of God's word. Now, do you know it's easier to preach and teach some passages than it is others? The same way that it's easy to hear some passages and it's a little more difficult to hear others. It's a little easier to hear uh, that, that Jesus has provided me interest to heaven and a message on heaven and going home and what Jesus did. Now, oh, that's wonderful and it's easy to listen to, but it's not as easy to hear one on forgiveness. You'd agree with me? Passages that deal with uh, such things as when somebody slaps you on the cheek, then you're to turn and give them the other cheek. It's about being uh, humble and, uh, and submissive to the will of God and the word of God. So we need shepherds who preach and teach all of God's. Let me show you in verse 25. So here's what he says. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So he begins, he's told them who he is in the first verses. And now he's saying to them, here's a sad truth. This is our last conversation face to face. These will be the last words that we say to one another. Uh, and boy, don't you know those are important words. Last time we'll see each other face to face. And this is what the Holy Spirit has put on my heart to share with you, okay? Verse 26, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, what we see Paul here developing is that idea of a, a watchman on the wall in the Old Testament who was uh, blasting the trumpet to warn people of coming danger, right, of what they needed to do and where the enemy was on the horizon. And so the, the watchman was innocent if he blasted the trumpet and warned everybody. But if he kept his trumpet silent and let the enemy just creep in, he would be guilty of the blood of the people. Does that make sense to you tonight? Give me a little head nod. Yes? And so that's what Paul, the imagery here that Paul is, is drawing from is his audience knows that in the Old Testament and, and the old way of uh, the, the God exposing himself, expressing himself to man was that they needed a watchman on the, on the wall who looked on the horizon and when he saw threats, when he saw threats, whether it be from the inside or the outside, he would blast the trumpet and then it was the responsibility of the people to respond to the warning. Are y'all tracking with me? So uh, you would say this, it's not the pastor's responsibility to what the people either obey or not obey based on the word of God, but it is in fact the pastor's responsibility, the teacher's responsibility to simply blast the trumpet and say, here's what God said. And boy, when I read across that again this week, I was like, whew, that's sort of, that's sort of freeing, you know? Uh, I am responsible for my obedience, but not yours. Uh, my obedience is to apply it to my own life, which let me just tell you something, I need it better than anybody in here but also it's my responsibility to get it out there, okay? And not just the easy passages, the passages that are difficult, the passages that we just really don't like to hear, the passages that don't sit well with us, the passages that we don't always understand when we read them the first time, right? We have to really kind of dig deep and figure out uh, what it is that God said way back there and make application way up here. So in verse 26, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have, and here he tells why. For I have, here it is, I'm going to paraphrase here, then I'm going to go back and read it. I've blasted the trumpet. You see the picture? I've blasted the trumpet. How did he blast it? I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't, I didn't spare the warnings. I didn't hold back on the things that God wanted me to say that were going to be difficult for you to process I didn't consider, well, this may hurt your feelings if I tell you this truth, so I'll just hold the truth to myself. He, he said, I'm like that watchman, on, and when God said to share it with you, I blasted the trumpet, and I shared it with you. And so, uh, I'm innocent because I've, I've taught the full counsel of God's Word. <clears throat> I'm telling you, we're living in a day and time, aren't we, where we need shepherds who will preach and teach 
the full counsel of God's Word. You, listen, you need to be careful to the voices that you allow to speak into your life. If they skip the difficult passages and only preach the positive thinking passages, you need to have a red flag, a check in your spirit, and you need to be considerate of what Paul said, that the, that the shepherd ought to be preaching and teaching the full counsel. Okay, can we move on from that? All right, now let me just also make application because you say, okay, yes, that means you ought to find a pastor that's preaching and teaching the full counsel, right? You ought to find yourself under the, uh, under the uh, shepherd, uh, uh, an under-shepherd who preaches and teaches all of God's Word. But also, as a disciple maker, uh-oh, we also need to disciple with the full counsel of God's Word, Right? Uh, discipling is, is easy when you're just kind of teaching on prayer, but it's difficult when you start teaching on forgiveness and generosity. And there, and, and there are other tenets of the faith that are a little more difficult to teach. So, so the application here is not just for pastors and teachers, right? But it's also for those who are disciple makers. And by the way, that is in fact you. You say, who? You. You say, well, who? I say, those of you who've been born again. Now, if you're not born again, I'm not talking to you. You're not a disciple maker, and God's not challenged you to be a disciple maker. Instead, what he's done to you, his command to you is to come. Jesus' command is to come and be saved and be born again. But if that's happened for you, his command to you is to make disciples. Boy, we mumble that thing. Disciples. I couldn't even, I don't even know how to spell that thing when y'all just got out there. Make disciples. That's what he's commanded us to do. And when you do that, you have to go through the difficult passages, but also the easier passages and everything in between, okay? So, we need shepherds who preach and teach all of God's Word. Are y'all tracking? We can move on to number two. All right, number two, we need shepherds who guard themselves and God's flock. Now, notice the order here. Notice the order that Paul gives, okay? The a shepherd first, an under-shepherd, is first to guard himself and then to guard the people of God. Does that make sense to you? Uh, let me share with you what, where I'm at here. Look, pick up in verse number 28, if you will, okay? So he says, therefore, based on what I've just told you, uh, based on the fact that Paul said, I've been, the, I've been the watchman, I've done what God told me to do, I've, I've everything that God said I've shared with you, I didn't hold any of it back, I warned, and therefore I'm not guilty if, if nobody obeys. I've put it out there, and everybody else now has to make their own decision. I've done what God's called me to do. Now, now, you, he's, now remember he's told him, but I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And so because I'm leaving, I'm talking to the, to the, to the, to the elders, to the pastors, to the bishops. I'm, I'm calling you now uh, as I'm leaving to do the same thing, to do the same thing. But first, you've got to do it with yourself before you can do it with the flock of God. You see the order there? Look with me in verse number 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves first, and then take heed to, help me, all of the flock. Now, you understand the word flock is a, a gathering of sheep. You, you, you know that. And it's interesting to me that God would relate me and you uh, to sheep as we think about those animals that can't run really fast, and they don't have sharp teeth, and they don't growl, and anybody, anybody tracking with me? Let me just say they're easy prey. They're easy targets. And they need a shepherd, right, to guard. But he says, if you're going to ever shepherd the way God wants you to shepherd, you're going to first have to shepherd. You're going to have to guard and be careful and take heed uh, in your own personal life. Uh, let me say that many of my uh, dear friends, I know some very close friends who over the years, uh, in the journey of faith, somewhere or another let down their guard. And they let down their guard, and it can happen to anybody. 
And even some guys that have been giants and heroes of the faith to me just sort of compromised a little bit, let down their guard. After, even some of them, after many, many years of serving the Lord faithfully, and they let down their guard, and oh, mercy, uh, the enemy fired that dart, and it made its mark, and the fall happened, and the fall happened because it's the shepherd of the flock. It, it, it didn't just affect that, that person, that man and his family, but it affected all the people that he had ever ministered to in all the years of his service to the king. And so what he's saying is that a, if a shepherd's going to represent him and take care of his flock, that the shepherd then has to first heed or take heed or guard or pay attention to his own life, his own life, okay? Now, moving forward a little bit, he said, we need shepherds to guard themselves and the flock of God. So now back in verse number 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and then to the flock. So, so he, wants the, he wants these shepherds, these under shepherds to, to guard their own lives, to be careful in their follow of Jesus in their own lives and so that they can help those that God has given them charge to guide and to guard to help them guard their own lives. You know, there are other places in the Scripture that says, be careful to honor those who God's placed over you as those who guard your souls. So it's a very interesting dynamic, isn't it? That the shepherd is supposed to guard their own life first and then the flock of God. Have you ever considered that your pastor is called by God to help guard you and guide you? Uh, you, you see, sometimes I think in our Western way of thinking, we just say, well, I'm just showing up to hear a sermon. Um, but that God has placed pastors here and other places, and the purpose of God is that those pastors would shepherd and guard and guide his beloved flock. Let me say something about God. You may not know this, but he loves his flock, and he wants to nurture and guide his flock. He doesn't want his flock to be underfed. He didn't want them to be underrested. He didn't want them to be uh, malnourished spiritually. He wants them to know the truth and to feed on it, be nourished, and, and their roots to grow down deep into Christ. That's God's desire for his church. And so you and I need to be careful, don't we, how we treat his flock. You say, wait a minute, I'm part of it. You are part of it. I'm part of it. But we still are called to be careful how we treat and talk about each other. All right? So let's move on just a little bit. A couple of things I want to point out in verse uh, 28. It's two things particularly. First of all, write this in your notes. One thing you and I need to gain from verse number 28 after knowing that the shepherd is supposed to heed his own life and then the flock of, the, of God, that what I want you to notice after that in, in verse number 28 is that he says, do that among which the Holy Spirit has made you, do you see the wording there, overseers? And a couple of things I want to point out here. First of all, uh, according to the Apostle Paul, let, let me go up the ladder a little bit. According to the Holy Spirit through Paul, the pastor is placed by, all right, we'll give you a minute, Holy Spirit. Somebody figured it out. The Holy Spirit. According to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes and, and challenges and calls and gifts the pastor to shepherd his flock. Are you with me? Some of y'all looking like, man, why am I here? Because God wants you to be an educated person of the Word of God and how He desires His church to go and for you and I as we fit into God's economy. Let me read a little further. So the Holy Spirit places pastors to keep God's flock. Now let me give you the word. The word here is overseer. Did you know that word? Did you know that word literally translates to the word bishop? Now wouldn't that be weird if you called your pastor bishop? You know why it'd be weird? Culture. Think about it. The only reason that's a weird word to use is because it's Culture. And we began to think about the Catholic Church somewhat and Bishop being someone who's over a large group of denomination, but obviously it's not what Paul is referring to here. He's talking about individuals, right? And we understand here that this word overseer is the word bishop, one who guides and guards. So think about that as you, well, let me give you a definition of this word overseer, bishop, one responsible for, 
One responsible for, one who cares for. Now, here's another word. It means the same thing, guardian, keeper. I want you to understand this, this rich word uh, uh, is so deep. The Holy Spirit places the pastor, and he's called overseer and bishop. The second thing I want you to notice in this verse, all right, is this. The church, and this is going to still be in verse 28, uh, the church is precious, is the precious purchased possession of God. You need to write that somewhere. The church is the purchased, uh, excuse me, the precious, I want you to get this, purchased possession, y'all help me, of God. Why does that matter? Oh, it matters greatly because one day you'll give an account for what you said about her and how you served her and how you fit in as part of her. And what you did as being part of the body of Christ. And I will and you will. And so we need to understand this. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 28. He says very plainly, Therefore take heed to yourselves first, and then to the flock, all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, there's that word, bishops, uh, to shepherd, and that word again just means to guide and guard, the church, listen, not the church of Terry Fant. Anybody tracking with me? Uh, but the church of God. Church belongs to one, and that is God. Which he, now here it is, which he purchased. And how did he buy the church? He didn't have a fundraiser. He didn't, he didn't sell chicken tenders. That's not how he bought the church. He didn't go borrow some gold, or he didn't, he, listen, he didn't do that. Do you know how he bought the church? You said, no, wait a minute. There was a church over here, and then, and then Jesus paid a payment and bought the church over here. Well, in effect, yes, because God is in the eternal now. He's past, present, and future. But let's just flesh it out so our minds can grab a hold to it. That which was to be had not yet been, right? But he paid the purchase price up front so that now through the purchase price, the possession could come into the kingdom by the wonderful shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the church is not Hickory Ridge, but the church is every born-again believer who puts their hope and trust in the work of Christ on the cross and the person of Christ, the Son of the living God, his resurrection, and they surrender to him as Lord. That's, that's the church. And the church is global. Did you know that? Did y'all know the church is global? It's all over the world. I, I love the times that God assigns me different places because I get the honor of meeting some of my brothers and sisters that look different than me and talk different than me. It's sweet to hear them worship the Lord in different dialects and languages and watching them serve the Lord as the church in different places all over the world. And so it's, it is global, but it's also, did you know it's also, it's, it stretches across history. Did you know that? Uh, there are many saints who've gone before us, and if the Lord tarries, there'll be many more saints that come after us. The church, we're one small part, but listen, one small, here's, here's something I want you to get, one small significant part. You are, if you've been born again. God says, listen to what he says here. I want the weight of this to settle in on your mind and your heart. He says, uh, who the church, and I, I just want you to kind of pick it up, weigh it, look at it, think about it, think of you living this way. He says, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Let me ask you something. Do you treat the church like the precious purchased possession of God? Now, be careful how you answer that. Because there's one who sees how you think about the church, and there's one who hears you how you talk about the church, and there's one who sees how you serve the church, and there's one who sees how you give or don't give to the church. I wish somebody would hear what I'm having to say tonight. Do you treat the church like the precious, purchased possession of God Almighty? The blood-bought, purchased possession of Yahweh, of El Shaddai, God Almighty. I'm just going to say, if I can be honest with you, there are times in my life when I don't. Can anybody else relate to that tonight? 
that there are times when I slip back into uh, a flesh way of thinking. Oh, it's just people. It's just a, it's just a group. It's just, a, you know, it's just, it's just, and, and boy, when that happens, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. It's a dangerous place to find yourself because God don't play when it relates to his church. Purchase with blood. How valuable is the church to God? How in love is God with his church? How do you take it when people talk about people you love? How do you look at folk when they run down your family, your wife, your mom, your children? How much more a holy God when you and I talk negative? I say this all the time to people. Listen, they'll get to talking negative about our church, their church, this church, that church, the church. Let's just say the church. And I'll say to them, that all may be true, but that's between you and the Lord. Take it as a matter of prayer. And I don't want to talk negative. I don't want to hear negative things. We're all in our different places. We're all called to different things. And what we'll do well to do is to stay focused on the mission at hand, amen, which is loving God and loving people. And if we'll do that, I'm telling you so then. By the way, something else we need to be reminded. And notice he didn't say that he bought Hickory Ridge with his own blood and only Hickory Ridge with his own blood. So we don't have some significant corner market on the kingdom. Come on, somebody. We're just one small part, one small significant part, okay, of the kingdom. But at the same time, we're not in competition. We're supposed to be lifting up other churches. Matter of fact, you ought to do this. Every time I pass another church in our area and all around the world, I begin to pray, oh, God, would you send revival? into that gathering. I pray they'd be baptizing people and discipling people. You see, it's not us versus them because, because what happens is if we're all thriving, if we're all doing what God's called us to do, and we're reaching a lost world that was purchased with his own blood, then what's happening is his name is glorified and we all win. We all win. And so I beg you, be careful not to talk negative about his church. Don't neglect his church. You're listening somewhere out there. Uh, somebody sitting in a deer stand maybe right now got your earbuds in. And I just encourage you not to treat the church like it's just another option. The church was purchased with his own blood. God intends for us to gather, Hebrews 10, 25, all the more as we see the day approaching. Uh, treat, let's, treat the, let's, let's ask God to help us treat the church as the precious, purchased possession of God. Amen. Bought with blood. We ought, to, we ought to do everything we can to build up the church and to encourage the church. And I'm talking about people. And encourage them on their journey and challenge them along the way when they begin to falter. Can you imagine if we start living our lives that way? Instead of, by the way, I've got to say this. It's just welling up in my spirit. i just got to get it out. Be careful what you post on social media about his church. I'll assure you of something. Uh, posting something negative about his church on social media won't fix a thing. And I'll tell you, it'll draw the ear of God. And he's not, listen to me, he purchased it with his blood. He didn't want us running, running the church down, but building the church up. Okay, I'm trying to move on. I really am. But I pray that you and I would never be found guilty. Now, here's the thing. I'm no longer guilty of anybody's blood in the room because I have shared with you exactly what God said. And so now what you do with it is up to you, okay? So I pray that you and I would be close-knit, and we'd be close-knit with the following of believers around the world, and we'd be cheering them on to the glory of God the Father, okay? Moving along, if I can, to number three. What I want to show you in verse 29 to 30 is Paul is now saying to this group of pastors, these elders, these shepherds, these bishops, is that there are many dangers that require surrendered shepherds. Now let me show with you what I mean. Do you know that a gathering of believers without a shepherd is a dangerous spot or in a dangerous spot? You may not have ever thought about that. You, you, you may have never even considered that. And I know many of you, or like me, didn't grow up in the church. But what I've learned over the years is that oftentimes when the church doesn't have a shepherd, 
Uh, you ever heard things begin to unravel a little bit? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Let me share with you from, from the perspective of Paul, okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Through Paul. Picking up right now in verse number 29 and verse number 30. For I know this. So now, how does Paul know this? By the Holy Spirit. I know this for certain. What, is, what does he know? That after my departure, okay, after I leave, and you'll not see me anymore, spent these years together, and I'm going to leave. I've got to go. God's sending me somewhere else. That after my departure, listen to what he says. Savage wolves. What a picture. What a picture. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, do you remember a message I preached not too long ago called the wheat and tares? And what we said about the wheat and tares is that they look the same during the growing season, and they look the same all the way right up until harvest time, right? And what I want you to see is what he's saying to them is that there are some who are going to come like savage wolves. Uh, Paul gave an illustration of, of sheep, right, that, that, are, that are sheep that are actually dressed up like, excuse me, wolves that are actually in sheep's clothing, and usually in the New Testament, references to the wolves are general references to false teachers. Uh, if there's not a God-called man to be the lead teacher, pastor, uh, then what will happen is somebody will rise up. He says, I know there are going to be those who rise up and try to challenge the doctrines and the teachings of the, of the Scripture, and they want to lead the church. They want to lead people away. What's the sad thing, isn't it? <clears throat> Notice what he called them, savage wolves. Let me move on just a little bit. Not only that, uh, there are many dangers. I'm telling you, look in verse 30. Also, he says, also, from among yourselves. What? From among the pastors, from among the elders, those who are leaders in the church, those who are spiritual bishops, yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Do you all see what I'm saying tonight? There are a lot of dangers, and it's why it's so important for uh, a, a shepherd to be in place, leading the flock of God, speaking perverse uh, things that mislead to draw people away, uh, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, notice what he says here. This becomes somewhat of a, uh, listen to what I'm saying. Let me, let me get it. Since, since, it's, since this is not happening, there's nobody leading here. Come over here and let me teach you what I, what I think and what I believe and how I think about things. And he says, it is so important. I, I know so many churches that right now are without pastors. And a lot of them have some of my dear friends in them. And I'm telling you exactly what Paul said. Exactly. Isn't it interesting that humans thousands of years apart are so much alike? And it's not so much the human aspect, but it is the enemy, Satan himself, and how he desires to come in and divide and scatter. You know, he just soon make you and, me mad at, you and me mad at each other or one another or get our feelings hurt and offended so that we'll disconnect because, well, I'm telling you, a sheep that's away from the flock and no longer under the care of the shepherd is in a very dangerous position. So, so we must stay close. So let me just kind of read on if I can. Many dangers require surrendered shepherds. That's what he's saying. I'm, 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 Paul, surrendered shepherd, is now leaving. So he's saying you guys have got to be surrendered. You guys have got to be guarding yourselves and guarding the flock because there are a lot of perils. There are a lot of perils. You know that, 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 that within the church, there are a lot of things that causes churches to split and break. Anybody know that? Um, most every place I've gone, I've heard people talk about, man, this happened in our church split and this happened in our church split. And when we've gone through building processes, I've had building engineers tell me we all are going to split two or three times now through the building process. And I thanks be to God that, that they were wrong. Uh, but I do understand that testimony. I do. Because what Paul said is true. There's a lot of perils. And it's very important that God places surrendered shepherds. Okay, let me move on if I can to number four. We're, we're about halfway, y'all. Can y'all listen a little faster? 
<laughs> Somebody said, yes, we're ready to go. <laughs> Number four, shepherds, listen to this, shepherds should watch and warn, listen, with compassion. With compassion. Have you ever known, I don't, don't call a name, don't, but have you ever known a shepherd, uh, an under-shepherd, a pastor of a place who, who shepherd guarded and guided but had no compassion for people? And were just mean spirit, almost seemed angry all the time. You know, I've been some places when I wanted to just say to the person that was preaching, you know, it's good news. It's good news. We, we don't have to be angry. It's good news. We don't have to yell from start to finish. It's good news. So let's, let's read, all right, where I want to put our eyes just for a moment in verse number 31. So Paul said, therefore, and, and, and notice that he's now, he's now exhorting them, encouraging them, challenging them again to do what he's already asked them to do, to watch, Right? to be on guard, to, to watch their own lives so that they can watch the life, help guard and guide the lives of the flock. And he's reminding them now again. Why? Because there are so many dangers out there. He says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn. And let me just stop right there. Now, you could, if, you, if you didn't have the rest of this text, you'd say, well, maybe, maybe Paul was for three years walking and pointing in people's faces and saying, you're doing this and you're going to hell and you're doing that and you're wrong for this and you're wrong for that. I saw a clip one time of a pastor. Man, he just went absolutely belligerent in the pulpit talking about the people building the kingdom back in the sound booth and calling people's names and telling them they weren't worth a nickel. And I'm telling you, I was just sitting there watching that. They're like, this is a joke. But it was, it was somebody really, really preaching that. And what Paul is saying is something altogether different. Read it. Look, put your eyes on it. Read on down the verse and see if you get what I'm talking about. Three years I warned. Now, first of all, if you hear somebody warning for three years, you get sick of hearing them warn, don't you? I, sometimes I feel like, man, 18 years, these people are so sick of hearing my voice. <laughs> three years he warned. But how did he warn? Help me, somebody. He warned consistently, night and day. Meaning, meaning night and day didn't mean he stayed up all night every night and all day every day, but meaning that at every season, if there was a need for instruction or warning at nighttime, he did it at nighttime. If it was during the day, a situation arose and a, and a, and a member, a sheep of the flock uh, was headed in the wrong direction, he would warn and encourage and equip and that, that daytime, nighttime, whatever, whatever, but he did it a certain way. Not angry with the people because of their sin. Not angry with the people because of their, uh, uh, because we are sheep, but he did it with, help me somebody, tears with tears. And so, Paul, man, you're talking about a man that God had placed a shepherd's heart in. Um, he cared about uh, the people hearing the warning, but not just hearing the warning, heeding the warning, making application to what they had heard. What God said, they just did it. And he, and he was concerned for that. But here's why. Paul knew that if they didn't obey and they didn't walk his way, God's way, then they were going to go into a place of danger. They were going to find themselves in a place that they were unprotected, if you will, and the enemy would have a straight shot at their heart. And it broke his heart. He said, man, I want to preach and I want to teach. And listen, by the way, you and I ought to have that same compassion for each other, that we see our brothers and sisters and we encourage them and we teach them and we do so with a, with a broken heart, knowing that if they don't, that we're not mad because they didn't listen to us, but that where our heart is broken because we know they're on a road that leads to destruction. He said, I warn day and night. Three, day, three years, but you know how I did it. I didn't do it with mean-spiritedness and condemnation. I did it with tears, which is compassion. All right, compassion. Let me move on if I can. Uh, let me pick up in verse number 32. And so we said shepherds should warn and watch, uh, watch and warn with compassion. But number five, shepherds can do it with God's help. All right, now let me just share with you. And listen, I'm telling you, this thing is true for the shepherd, but it's also true for the sheep. 
that God's called you to equip and God's called you to disciple and God's called you to love and God's called you to nurture, all of us. And can you imagine what it's going to look like when we do? How many people are going to be growing in their faith and walking the Lord's way where blessing, and I'm not talking about like blessing of more stuff, but the blessing of peace and joy, all the fruits of the Spirit is found on that walking on the King's highway, you know, walking His way according to His Word, led by His Spirit. I get excited thinking about that. Number five, write this down. Shepherds can do it with God's help. Now, two things, two things that are the help of God in the shepherd's life. Number one is found in verse 32, and that is an authentic relationship with God, an authentic relationship. He's not just on the job. He doesn't just go preach, okay? But he has a, a personal, authentic relationship. Where do you see that, preacher? Put your eyes on verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God. I, I set you over. I, I turn you over to you and your relationship with who? God. I, I trust. I, I give you over because, because Paul knows he, he's not going to see him anymore. But God is always present with him. And if they're going to lead his flock, if they're going to guide and, and guard the very purchased possession of God, the church, then they're going to have to stay close to God himself. I, I want you to understand that there's no way under the sun that an under-shepherd can shepherd the flock of God unless he stays right close to King Jesus, unless he starts his day uh, with the Lord. There's no way, and by the way, let me just sort of turn it if I could, there's no way that you can make disciples unless you stay near to the Lord. Unless you have an authentic relationship that now you're, you're, listen, now you're making disciples out of an overflow. You're not just doing it because the preacher said it. You're not just doing it out of obligation. You're not just doing it because you feel guilty that you don't. You're doing it because you love the Lord and you want people to experience the fullness of his presence and walking with him. Oh, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it, when he gets to that place? So an authentic relationship with God, there's a second thing. There's a second thing, and as they tie together, a second thing that he mentions, he says, I commend you to two things. I commend you to God, and I commend you to... Anybody reading with me? Boy, y'all went blank on me. Is it on overhead? No, it ain't on overhead, is it? It is now. Thank you, John. <laughs> I was wondering, so we got a blank look out there. All right, now that it's up there, read with me, okay? So he says, so now, brethren, I commend you first to... God, your personal relationship with him. It's got to be you and him. You'll never make it unless it's you and him. But then he says, I also commend you to the word of his grace. You, you've got, I, I, I turn you up because listen, if you're going to ever, he's talking now, remember I'm being, I'm being textually accurate in saying that these under shepherds will never accomplish the mission of guarding their own lives and guarding and guiding the lives of the flock of God unless they stay close to God and they stay on a steady diet of his word. Now the same is true for you. You'll never accomplish the mission of God, what he's called you to, unless you spend time with him in his presence and live on a steady diet of his word. Wow, what a powerful help God gives to me. And you, number six, number six, can y'all believe we're almost there? I feel like you've been here for two days, don't you? You ought to be preaching this from the position of the pre thing that you're preaching about. You're talking about awkward? It's always a little awkward when you preach about the, the, the office of the shepherd. All right, so here we go. Number six, we need shepherds who are givers. Write that down. Let me share with you what I mean. We need shepherds who are givers, okay? Now, this is going to be verses 33 to 35. 
Okay? Now, let, let me clarify something up front, because as you're writing that, I want to just sort of clarify. I had a man come to me one time, and he says, you know, I just don't believe that, uh, that pastors or, or under-shepherds should be, should be paid, financially compensated. And I said, okay, where do you get that? He said, well, Paul always, you know, he, just, he did work on his own to, to provide for his own needs. And I said, yes. And, and Paul was a missionary, but also, if you'll look, more times than not, Paul refer, referred to the gracious giving of the Corinthians and the different churches that took up offerings as a gift to supply his need, to send him where he was going. So he didn't stay in one place and shepherd one place, but he went all over. And some places, depending on the context, he wouldn't take any money. He would just work, depending on where he was at. Other times, he would have churches that would take up money and give it to him that would fund his ministry. Does that make sense to you? All right, so there's just a clarity there. But now what he says to this group, and really the teaching here is not really about working uh, bivocational or, or not. What, what this is about is being a giver versus a taker. Y'all with me? It's, it's, it's the scripture that speaks in, in Paul's letter to Timothy when he said, uh, let, the, let the overseers uh, not be greedy for money. It's the same teaching, okay? So let me read it, verse 33. Let me turn the page. That'd be all right with y'all? I'm going to have to to get to verse 33. So here he says in verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Do you see that? He said, the goal of me preaching was not that I would have nicer stuff. The goal of my preaching wasn't to make everybody happy so that y'all would raise a bunch of money for me. He said, that wasn't the goal of it. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. Paul said, I, I'm not a taker. I've been a giver. He's reminding them that their focus cannot be. They'll never make it as under shepherds if their focus is financial gain. They'll never make it. And they'll never shepherd without fear. You see, if you're on the wall, on the, on the wall and God gives you a warning to give to the people, and the warning sometimes is sharp. Y'all know some warnings are more sharp than others. Full counsel of his word. Nod with me if you're tracking tonight. And so if he's on the wall, God gives him a very sharp warning, and he considers if I say that, I may thin the crowd and they won't give. Then he probably won't preach that, preach that passage. And he'll probably only hit and miss, and, and oh, what a dangerous thing for the people of God. And so he says, he says, it ought to be about giving and not taking, all right? Let me, let me just read a little for you. You say, well, how do you know that? Let me sum it up, all right? So he says in verse number 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. So he's saying that your life is not supposed to be just a taker, but also a giver. You're supposed to give. And he says, and remember these words of the Lord Jesus. Here it is, summed all up. And what Jesus said, it is more blessed to than to receive. You know, the same thing's true for, for a disciple maker, a follower of Christ. If you're greedy for money, you'll never make it. You, you won't have time. You'll be too focused on making all you can make while you can make it. And you'll never have time. You know, that's the number one reason that I get when people don't disciple. I don't have time. What are you doing? Well, I'm chasing that dollar. And so you can't, it can't be, money can't be the goal, right? Now, I know we got to have it. Listen, I understand that. But if it's the goal, if it's all I'm after, I'm telling you what will happen. I won't have time. I won't, I won't preach the full counsel of his word. I won't set aside some time to invest my life in others and make disciples. I'm telling you, it's true for me and it's true for you. Let me move on if I can, all right? We need shepherds who are, what did we sum up there? Givers. We also need the people of God to be givers, all right? We're supposed to be givers and not just takers, okay? Now, finally, number seven. Can y'all believe we've gotten there? Hallelujah. I think we're actually going to get out of here. What does on time mean anyway? Verse 36 to 38, let's conclude here. Number seven, we all face difficult seasons of surrender. Then we're going to close this thing with the under-shepherd and the Apostle Paul uh, and everybody that's there having a very difficult moment of departure. Y'all tracking with me? Um, you know, it's hard to leave somewhere, isn't it? 
And, and it's hard. I, now, you say, what do you know about I really don't know about that because the first place God called me, he's allowed me to stay, and I'm, I'm so grateful that he has. But at the same time, sometimes guys will ask me, and they've been in the ministry less time than me, and they'll say, hey, man, I need you to give me some counsel on uh, what it's like to leave. I said, I can't. I got, I got nothing except stay close to the Lord and steady diet of the Word. It's, it's what gets us through. But I've not, I've not ever had to say goodbye, you know? And I think about, sometimes I think about what it would be like if I had to stand in front of y'all tonight and say, hey, listen, we've had a great time together, and God's done some great things, but you'll never see my face again, and I'll never see yours. I'll get choked up thinking about it. Because I've, I've been in a lot of burials and a lot of weddings and a lot of births and so many different things along the way, a lot of tears shed and a lot of counseling. I mean, just so much life investment. I can't imagine what Paul was having to go through when he said, I've got to go. Now, remember where he said he's going. Remember from this morning? He's going on a field trip, right? He's going on a cruise with, uh, with, with David Jeremiah. He's going on a cruise with the favorite gospel singers, right? No. No, he's not. He's going, and he doesn't know what's going to happen when he gets there. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but there's one thing that he knows. In which city? Every city. Change and tribulation wait for him. You imagine, you imagine leaving a people who you're investing your life in, and you're pouring your life, and they're pouring their life in you, and you're growing together, and God's doing great things, and then you say, listen, I've got to go, and I'm going to go get chained up and arrested and mistreated. And, I mean, imagine, first of all, the emotional aspect of saying goodbye but then to know where you're heading. I, man, I don't know. I, the more I look at the Apostle Paul, the more humble I, I become to say, Lord, i got a long way to go. Anybody else can, can relate to that? Man, I, I look at his life and say, Lord, help me to get to that place. L let me just read a little of what's, what I'm talking about here. So this is going to be verses 36 to 38. Y'all with me? Ready to close this thing together? Here we go, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. What a beautiful scene. Can you see them? Can you see them all kneel down together? And he just begins to pray. And they're kneeled together in, union, in communion with God together in prayer. And the Bible says, then as they're praying, they all wept. I want you to see this. Um, they all began to cry. Don't you just love having a crying spell together? Right? Especially the men in the room. You really love to just get together. Hey, you know what? We're going to have a meeting the other night. We're going to just get together and cry. Um, now, they didn't plan this, but they knew that they were saying goodbye. And man, emotions sometimes get the best of you. And they're praying and everybody's crying. That's a painful scene for me to think about. I don't know about you guys. And I have to remind myself that who is it that's orchestrating the scene? Who is it that's directing Paul to where he's supposed to go? The Holy Spirit. So sometimes we look at things and we say, well, I know God just wants me to be happy. And I need, to, I need to, just for a second to ask you to stop and ask yourself this question. Does this look like a happy scene to you? Now, I'm not saying they're not, they don't have joy. They do have joy. But they're also sad. Because the man who had led and guided and directed and encouraged and warned them and instructed them is now going to leave, and they're never going to see him again, never. There's no chance that they'll ever meet again here on earth. I want you to think about it, right? So many times we begin to look at our life and we say, well, I know just God just wants me to be happy. No, what God's concerned with more is your holiness. And even more than that, his glory. And God is glorified when we live a holy life. How about that? And a holy life just means set apart. And set apart means that if he says, go and leave this great place, Ephesus, where he's been, and go over here and get mistreated for the glory of my name, then what we do is we pack up and we get on the boat and we go. 
Now, let me just sort of read, um, conclude this thing. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck. Can you see him? That, that word is a phrase where they're just kind of grabbing him, almost, almost tackling him with, with just love and kindness. Don't you know they're saying things to him like, Paul, man, come on, we love you, don't go. Or just, or just maybe weeping in silence, you know? Sometimes you don't have words to say. You ever been in that place where you're sad and you just don't have any words to say? And they're, on his, they're hugging him, and they're all crying. Now, this happened other times in Paul's life, and sometimes he would tell them, what do you mean breaking my heart? <laughs> Let me go. I'm out of here. He's called me. I'm going. All right? Verse 37, they all went freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing. Do you see that? What were they so sad about, that he was going somewhere to a difficult place? What was the thing that they sorrowed the greatest about, the fact that Paul was going to go be mistreated or that Paul was going to go be in prison? No. Come on, somebody said it out there. They loved him. They loved fellowshipping with him. They loved his leadership and the way God led through him. And they had a great season together, but it was a season. And God was now moving him. And I'm going to say this to you in our lives. We're all faced difficult seasons of surrender where our allegiance will be tested. Did you know that? Your allegiance to Christ will be tested in your marriage, in your single life, in parenting, in your youth. Your allegiance to Christ, mine, it'll be challenged all the days of our life. Let me conclude. He says, and they, I love this, sorry most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they, I love this last sentence of verse 38, and they accompanied him to the ship. Now, some commentaries I read through this week said that that word accompanied, accompanied means it was a word that generally was used when somebody walked you to the ship, and they walked you to the ship, and they had groceries for you. You ever, you ever have anybody accompany you? You ever go group visit with grandma and... You know, you get ready to leave, and what does she do? She's like mine, going to walk you all the way out to the car, huh? And, and going to give you some things to take with you. Uh, that's the picture. So, so they're, they're, they're sad. It's a difficult season, but man, they didn't quit living out what God had called them to do. They were still supporting and encouraging him to go on to the next season. See, sometimes you and I are going to face difficult seasons, but it is very, very important how we leave one season that helps us enter into the next season. So God help me and you today to under the challenge to shepherd God's flock, the main idea being God gives shepherds to guard and guide his flock, but also that all the principles that apply here to the shepherd also apply to the sheep. And here's the thing, I fit both categories. So I pray that you'd consider how you might apply these to your own life. And if you're our guest tonight, because I know a lot of times on Sunday night we have people from other churches that come, and I'm so glad of that, and I pray you'd never feel threatened, and we're not trying to church steal, we're not into that, but if you don't have a place that preaches on, on Sunday night, don't beat your pastor up for that, because I guarantee you deep down in his heart he wants to, maybe nobody will come. And so you, you're welcome here, and we're so glad that you're here, but be careful not to mistreat his bride, because maybe at your church things aren't the way that you wish they would, and I pray what you do instead was to pray for him, and to pray for your gathering. And as long as you need a place to come on Sunday night and Wednesday night, we're here, man. We'd love to have you. We're going to preach the word and, and, and love one another. But we're not trying to steal you away from anything. And so I want to leave you in closing with this. Uh, there is one great shepherd, the good shepherd. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that we said about what we need in our under shepherds can be found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the good shepherd. He's the one who desires, listen to this, to shepherd your soul. He wants to lead you the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to be afraid because he's with you. He wants to shepherd you. He'll set a table before you, the presence of your enemies. He wants to be your shepherd. And I pray if you've never turned your life over to him, tonight would be the night that you'd say, you know what, I've not shepherded myself well. 
I need Jesus to shepherd my soul, to save me and be my Lord and Savior. So tonight as we bow our heads together and close our eyes for just a moment, I want you to consider the offer to be saved and shepherded by the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, tonight I'd like to ask you this. Isn't he a wonderful shepherd? I want you to think about that for a minute. Isn't he a wonderful shepherd? Think about it. He didn't just say, do this, do that, do this, do that. He came down here and did it first. He lived a life, it was, the Scripture says he was tempted in all points just like we are, except that he did it perfectly, never falling once to the temptations of this world. So he didn't sit up on his throne and say, now do this, do this, do this. He came down and said, now I'm going to show you, I'm going to be your champion, I'm going to lead the way. You follow my example. Oh, what a Savior. What a shepherd. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know, your life is full of anxiety and it's full of things that you wish you had and things that are lacking. And, and I want you to remember the first line of that shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, when Jesus is the shepherd of your soul, you don't lack anything good. Everything you need is found in him. So tonight, if you would believe that he died for you, the Son of God, and that he rose from the dead, and you'd be willing to turn over your life to him, let him be your shepherd, your Savior, your Lord. What he assures us, he'll lead you to the place of peace. Green pastures and still waters. Consider Jesus tonight. Come to him. He says, come. Nothing stands between you and him except you choose not to come. For the believer tonight, May we consider the church as purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would begin to treat her, her, differently. We would talk about her differently. We'd serve her differently. We would see our part in being the bride of Christ differently. And tonight God would shift some things in our Western way of thinking that we get to choose and pick and Instead, we'll get a biblical understanding of the church and the under-shepherd and our role to serve the bride of Christ and to reach a lost and dying world. Now, I want to say that the altar's open. Here's what I'm going to ask tonight. Here's what I want to ask. I wonder if there's a brother or sister in the house that will get out of your chair and come down this altar and pray for the church. I'm going to wait. Maybe there's not. Maybe, okay, well, there is a few. That would come from, now I'm not used to talking about Hickory Ridge. No, no, that's just one little small significant part of the church. I'm talking about the church around the world. I wonder who would just come and begin to pray for First Baptist of Florence and for Restoration and, and for Relate Church over in Byram and for Country Woods. And, and there's a church, there's, you, church, you pass it all the time. I wonder if God put a certain church in your heart, you'd come up to this altar and just begin to pray for the pastor, pray for the people, pray the Spirit of God would send revival. Pray that God would bless them richly with resources of teachers and disciple makers. Pray that prayer for this gathering. We need it as much as anybody. Somebody tonight needs to come before the Lord and say, God, forgive me for how I've been talking about your church. I've been posting things. I've been saying things. And, and really the truth is I'm the problem. Somebody tonight needs to just for the first time say, Jesus Christ, would you come be Lord of my life? So pray for the church. Pray for the church in Jerusalem. Would you do that? In Israel. 
to pray for the church all over the world. For those tonight who are having to hide in holes and caves with one page from the Scripture, and that's all they've got. Pray for the church. Pray that the church would fulfill his mission. That we would be seeking and saving that which was lost and making disciples all along the way. Let's just take some time here to pray. As we're praying tonight, I'd like to just mention a few things if I could. Would you pray for would you pray for our Bible teachers here at Hickory Ridge? Will you do that? And the churches all around the world. Not Sunday school teachers, because they're not Sunday school teachers, they're Bible teachers. So would you pray for them? That they'd be humble and surrendered and studied, led by the Spirit. Would you pray that God would raise up more teachers? We need, we need more that are willing to stand up and, and teach the Word of God. Would you pray for those tonight who have been hurt in church? Now, it's not an uncommon thing because the church is full of people and we hurt each other sometimes. Do you know that sheep bite? Did you know that sheep will bite each other? Anybody know that tonight? Say amen. They'll bite each other. So, so let's just begin to pray for those who've been hurt by the church. You say, which church? I said, the church. That they'd give God an opportunity to heal that wound and begin to understand, man, we're going to get hurt because we're people, but we're here for the Lord Jesus, and He can heal, and He can mend. I'm going to wait just a moment, okay? You just come as the Lord leads you, and you come and pray. Brother Jimmy and Mr. Renee are down front. They'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you if you have a prayer need in your life. If there's somebody who needs to talk to somebody, they're down there waiting for you right now. Just go right on over and ask them. They'll pray for you. They'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. Boy, it's sweet when we gather in the church in one accord, praise for the church. Oh, that God would crush the competitive spirit in us. That we'd not be in competition with any church, but we'd be locked arm in arm together, serving the king, cheering each other on. Pray for the flock. Would you do that? The flock. Which flock? The flock. Pray that, pray that we would be learners and reproducers. That we really would love Jesus with all of our hearts. Now I want to just remind you tonight that there is forgiveness to be found only in Jesus Christ. If you've never placed your hope and trust in Him and confessed Him as Lord, He'll say, do you know if He'll do that tonight? He'll save you. Forgive your sin bring you into the family of God. I'm telling you, the same way I got in by grace, same way Paul got in by the grace of God, we didn't deserve it, but he offers it freely. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to, those that want to stand, stand. Those that want to remain praying at the altar, remain praying at the altar. If you need to come, uh, you come. But Brother Jimmy and them are waiting, so this is your opportunity. Come on down. They'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. So, Father, we simply pray tonight, have your way. Have your way in us. Help us to be the church, the bride that is ready for your return. Father, would you forgive us when we get things off and help us tonight to hold in high regard the church. May we never be guilty of running her down or mistreating her or treating, neglecting her by not serving. Father, Thank you for the blood 
that purchased my salvation. Thank you for the blood that purchased the salvation of whosoever will call on Jesus' name. Please move in our hearts tonight. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.